Welcome to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. Every podcast that comes out from Build a Bigger Life will be impactful and can change your life if and will you take action on on uh, what you're hearing. You're about to hear how someone chose life over lifestyle. Someone doing more of what they love and less of what they don't. Someone creating a life of fulfillment and purpose. No more BS or excuses. I'm going to have the life that I want to have. I love the people that have come into my life this year just out of the sheer intention of being open. Or you're just getting to know Adam. Just know this is what he bleeds. This is what he lives. His kids can preach this message. You're in the right place if you want to build a bigger life. Here's your host, Adam Carroll. On the Build a Bigger Life podcast with me today is Shannon Ryan. Shannon is a certified financial planner. Having done this very important career for the past 23 years, and Shannon's got an interesting story she's going to share with us today. At the age of 13, her dad began teaching her money, specifically uh, kind of emotions and understanding emotions around spending, saving, and investing money. And it created a passion in Shannon that she's carried into her career and is also, I think, teaching her girls about, which we'll hear from her today. Um, Shannon is the author of The Heavy Purse, which is a book for kids, also at theheavypurse.com, which is a blog, and the new Financially Sound podcast. And I'm super excited to have her here. Shannon, thanks for joining me. Hi, Adam. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Hey, I start the show the same way every time. What, what's something you love about your life right now? Um, I am living the life that I designed. And that's what I love. I am, am doing everything that I knew I would be doing at this point. Um, it's taken a lot of decisions, a lot of sacrifices, but I love my life. I live and work five minutes from my, you know, my home, my home city. I do, I do podcasts. I just my life is in alignment with where I want it to be. I love it. We uh, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about values, and you mentioned that money is so particular for people because they tend to um, maybe make decisions that are not in line with their, their core value, but it sounds like you have. Tell us about that. No, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. My husband and I met 28 years ago, and we're married 25 years in this August. And one of the things that he and I started doing right away, and I do truly believe it's from the original lessons of my father when I was 13, is we started having conversations as we were finishing um, our undergraduate degrees around what's most important to us, not only this year, but three years and five years and 20 years from now. And we've always tried to align our money and our decisions around money in alignment with those goals, because I have a strong belief that we all make decisions, hundreds of them every day. And if we make more good decisions in the direction of things that are most important to us, what we value versus bad, and you will make some bad decisions, then you will get closer and obtain the things that are most important to you. The problem is, is that when you don't know what you want and you're making decisions, there's no possible way to make more good decisions and bad decisions towards your goals because you don't know which way you want to go. I always think of Alice in Wonderland when she came up to the Chester cat and, and she said, which way should I go? And the Chester cat grinned and said, where do you want to end? Well, I don't know. And he said, you will surely end somewhere. So Choose where you want to be and where you want to live your life. Don't give that power away. Gosh, so true. Any road will do, right? If you don't know where Any you want to go. Any road will do. Um, yeah, for many. Yeah. So you've been, and you've been a certified financial planner for, for a couple decades. Um, what, yeah. is, what, is, what, what are you most surprised by 
when you have conversations with people today? You know, the first question that I always ask anyone about their money is what is most important to them when it with their money? Meaning, what are they trying to accomplish long term with their money? Um, I am often surprised at how people have never really thought about what's important to them. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes it's because they don't allow themselves to think about what they want, meaning they have these deep desires of the way that they want to live their lives, or the trips that they want to take, or the philanthropic endeavors that they want to make, and they just haven't thought about how to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple in recently who are um, they're professors at a major university, and they wanted to leave some very large endowments and didn't know how it was going to get done. And within mm-hmm. an hour, we figured out how to leave millions and millions of dollars to areas that they were most important to them. When they left my office, it was, it was this joy. It was brought back to their mm-hmm. life because they were living on purpose again. And it just takes focus to live your dream. Wow, how cool. It's about conscious living, right? Deciding what you're yeah. going to do with your money and being very purposeful about it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you, you know, we talked a bit about your dad and you brought him up. Tell, tell, tell the listeners about your dad and what he taught you. My dad, gosh, you know, in the seventies and the eighties, um, when my, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, going to high school, my dad used to sit down with me every single night at the dinner table. And every night was a lesson, something we were going to learn. Hmm. My father was a surgeon. He was incredibly analytical. So there were a lot of facts that I was learning about the world, but the most important thing that he taught me was that emotions are more important than facts. He would often say that EQ is more important than IQ, meaning that you can know something, you can be very smart about it, but your emotions are going to determine how you react to it and therefore going to dictate your decisions and how you live your life. So if you understand your emotions, and emotions can be good and bad. I mean, I meet with people all the time in their money, and what I find often is that we all have hang-ups, things that we think about money, things that are, are feelings that sometimes we don't even know where they came from. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's very early childhood type things. And my father taught me, as long as we know what's driving our emotions, we have a better opportunity to make good decisions. And he did that every conversation we have. Mm-hmm. I would answer and he would say, was that emotional or logical this uh, answer? And I would say, well, that's the fact. And he said, but how do you feel about it? What's important to you about this topic? And he taught me to think through things, not only on an analytical, but emotional level. And it has truly brought a more rich life um, to every one of my days. Hmm. That is so cool. And we were, we were discussing this, but it's, it's odd for a surgeon to be, who's also analytical to be that in touch with emotion. That's pretty amazing. You know, it's interesting. It's funny because he was, on his personal side, he was very analytical. Uh, I mean, um, uh, personal. But on his business side, he was so analytical. And it's hard for me sometimes to even read some of his writings, his medical accounts of things. He had a near-death experience. He was on a boat that went down off of Mexico. Oh and when he wrote the story about going down and being worried about, you know, the sharks were circling the boat and all this emotional stuff, he wrote it so analytically. But what I knew about my dad is that was he, when he wrote and he spoke, he, he was more comfortable in the facts. Hmm. But what I knew about him was when he made decisions, he made sure that it was in alignment with his values and his emotions because he always felt he made a better decision that way. So it's hard for me to read his writing now because I don't think it truly reflected um, the beauty of the man. Yeah. Oh, that's really well. I, and I want to um, 
comment on that a minute. I, so Jim Rohn, who you're probably familiar with, uh, America's foremost business philosopher who passed away a couple of years ago, he used to say that the only thing we have to leave future generations are our words and our pictures. And it sounds like your dad left a number of journals or writings. What, what, what is that like to go through those today? He left um, some of them that were the very analytical writings that I spoke of, accounts of experiences he had. But he had two journals that he wrote poetry. And he actually mm-hmm. wrote a lot of his philosophy about emotional competence and how to view the world. Um, he talked about the notion that people will talk about you. But that's okay. Everybody talks about everyone. Don't give it any value. You value yourself for who mm. you are and value those people for who they are. Mm. So he was emotional competence on every level. So I find that if I get myself in a situation as a human being feeling you know, upset about something or in a situation that's bothered me, I go to his journals and I read his beautiful mm. words. And I, I find that I give people a lot more credit. I love people deeper because we're all in the same human condition. And I think if we learn to accept that and forgive, but also understand where each one of us is at different times, um, they're deep lessons. So he lives in my head. He lives in these beautiful journals that I, I just I treasure. Um, and it was a truly, it was a gift. And it's a mm-hmm. lot of responsibility because I have two little girls now. And I think, how do I make sure that they live a really rich internal life? And how do I guide that? How do I show them how to do that? Because my father had such a beautiful roadmap for it. And I don't even know why he was living if he knew the the true gifts that he left me in life. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. What a cool story. What a very cool story. What are you passing on to your daughters? You're You're this very successful certified financial planner. You've written these books. You've got an awesome website at theheavypurse.com, which I want to talk about. But what, what are you teaching your two girls? You know, I hope that I am teaching my girls to make decisions in alignment with their values. Um, whenever we sit down and talk about anything, and my girls are only 9 and 11 still, so they're pretty little. Um, my oldest daughter now at 11, whenever we sit down to talk about something, she, she is to the point now where she say okay, mom, you're going to teach me how to think through this, right? You're not going to give me the answer. And I said, I'm not going to give you the answer because my answer may be different than your answer. And I want you to find the right answer for your heart. So what I'm trying to teach my girls to do is to think, to think for themselves, to make decisions, to have opinions and know that whether their opinion is in alignment with my opinion, that I value that. And I want them to value other people's opinions and thoughts. So I want them to live a life that is something that will bring them joy Hmm. and not live a life out of obligation. Very cool. Live a life of joy, not out of obligation. I I looked up the uh, definition of freedom at one point. <clears throat> because financial freedom is, you know, as obviously you wrote about it quite a bit on your on your yep. on your uh, website. It's okay. that's what sort of what everyone is after. But mm-hmm. life is messy and emotional, and financial freedom kind of has a different meaning for everyone. And when you get there, it may not be what you thought it was going to be. And mm-hmm. I was looking up the definition of freedom, and it it talked about uh, having the absence of restraint in choice or action. And I think that's a big thing is is to not have to restrain from making choices or actions because of the financial obligations you have. So I think that's very cool. You're teaching your daughters that. Yep, absolutely. Is that where the book came from? Well, the book came from originally my my 
I've been in the financial service business for a very, very long time. So for almost 25 years, I've been sitting down and talking to individuals and families about their money. And I've learned so much. I mean, you, when you get behind closed doors with people and you really hear the emotion behind money and you feel, you understand how people make financial decisions, mm-hmm. you start to see how limiting money can be. And generally because we put our own limitations on ourselves because right. of our emotions. Um, so I actually ran a... Um, different organizations for major financial firms for years. I worked on the East Coast. I worked down in Texas. And I ran California for a major financial firm for many, many years. After I had my first daughter, um, I retired, basically. I stepped back. I went back into private practice because I wanted my own time for yeah. myself. I went sure. back to working with clients. With was what I truly, truly loved. And I knew even years before I even I didn't plan on having kids. In my late 30s, I decided that, oh my goodness, something's missing. I really want children. But I didn't feel like I had the freedom given the, the size of my role. I was a field vice president, one of the few in the uh, country that was a woman. And so to have a children in a very competitive male-dominated industry was something that I honestly couldn't even wrap my head around for years. Um, at 37, I looked up and thought, gosh, you know what? I am not making decisions any longer for what I want. Hmm. I'm too deeply entrenched in the corporation and what the corporation wants for me. Mm. So it took me about a year, but I found a practice of somebody who was retiring. I purchased a um, private practice. I went back into practice. And as I evolved into practice, I had a coach. And one of the things the coach asked me said, what's most important to you besides working with individuals on their money? I said, literacy. Financial literacy cool. in this country is a big issue, and that is very important to me. And he said, well, what area? I said, children. I said, what we don't understand in this country is that our children at about age three start to learn about money as they watch us swipe a credit card at Target when we're doing any purchases, yeah. and they watch us fight about it. They watch us learn, you know, yearn for things that we can't have. Um, your children understand your emotions at a young age. About that same time, my youngest daughter came running down the hall and she had a coin purse and it was really heavy. And she said, mom, my purse is so heavy. And it just, it hit me. And I, and I looked at her and I said, why is it so heavy? She goes, coins, it's filled with coins. And I said, do you know how magical those coins are? And she said, what do you mean magical? I said, your decisions around those coins will create happiness for yourself and the world if you make the right decision. And then we sat down and she was only five years old and we started talking about how to look at those coins in a different way, meaning making goals about her, what she wanted to do with her money, who would she philanthropically give the money to, and then when she spent it, how do you spend it with joy and just enjoy it? And I've been teaching them ever since. That's so cool. And so the book, how long has the book been out? Since 2012. So I wrote the first book, The Heavy Purse, in 2012. I wrote the second book, uh, The Lemonade Stand, in 2013, 14. It was the spring of 14. Cool. Um, they are simply just picture books. And the reason why I wrote the picture books is when my children were really little, the one thing that I always did is read them books before they went to bed. Yeah. You know, heavens knows when you have two children, three children, four children, how many children you have, to define time to teach them lessons around money and to really sit down. Oh my goodness, we're talking about stranger danger, how to brush your teeth. I mean, just how to be a good citizen. To talk about money on top of that is it's not practical for me to think that parents can truly sit down right. and do all of that. But 
if you're reading a bedtime story anyways, why not read one about two girls making decisions around saving, sharing, and spending? Um, and then I started getting a bunch of questions from parents on really what are the, the key things that you should be teaching kids. So mm-hmm. then I put together a workbook series that was the top five things that you need to teach your kids from three to six, six to nine, and nine to 12. Cool. I'm working on a book for teenagers right now because I'm very opinionated about what you should be teaching your teens before they leave your home. And yeah. it's not you know, don't spend money on a credit card in college. It comes way before that. You got to teach them how to handle things. But um, that was, that's where, that's how it got started. I love it. That is uh, so cool. Um, And you and I are so in line on that. I mean, the the whole financial literacy piece for kids is something I've been talking about for some time. I did a TEDx talk at the London Business School last year or this year in April. And um, it was all about money not being real. And so we played a $10,000 game of Monopoly with my kids with real cash on the table. And my, my hypothesis was that if the money were real on the table, they'd play the game differently. And in, fa- and in fact, they did. And, and, you know, having instigated allowance programs and what they spend money on, and we re- we've really shifted decision-making to them as opposed to it being all of, you know, dad, can I get this? Will you get this for me? Dad, please get this. Can I have five bucks? It's like, hey, you have money. You're going to make these decisions. Just know that your decisions have consequences. If you spend it on that, you won't be able to get this. And and it's it's made all the difference in the world. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't seen I have to re, I have to watch your TED talk, but I actually saw some of your writings on that and mm-hmm. it just it's so impressive that you did that. One of the things that I can tell I condone quite a bit is as soon as your kids are old enough, and I started at about age seven and eight with their birthday parties because mm-hmm. we spend money on birthday parties. They want yeah. these big parties. Um I remember my daughter came to me and said, Oh, I know what I want to do for my birthday. I want to get a limo and I want to take all my kids he- and my friends to <laughs> dinner and I want to do this and that. And I'm looking at her thinking, Oh my goodness. So I think it was her eighth birthday party. I said, no problem. Let me tell you what your budget is. And then let me see. And I am a firm believer that if that's what you want to do, let's find a way within your budget. So I gave her the budget and she said, oh my gosh, she thought she was just absolutely, I could do all of it. I'm really rich. So we got online and we started looking at things. And if she had just done one of the things she wouldn't have done, she would have blown the entire budget. But we ended up working through every single item. And we, she wanted to pick up, you know, 10 friends in the limo. We got a limo off hours that would do the whole thing for us for $45. And so we literally went through and I taught her how to negotiate how to find the right price, how to stay within her budget. Um, she had to make a lot of compromises, but she had the birthday party she wanted. She even had leftover money. Huh. But if I had just said, oh, sure, it's a lot of parents do. And the, we do it because we love our kids more than we could ever imagine. And every sure. one of us carries these holes in our hearts of things that we wanted with kids as kids that we didn't get. So we make the mistake. And it's a it's a you know it's a, it's a mistake that people make with a lot of love, but they yeah. overgive to fill their own holes in their heart. And what they are not teaching their kids is what you are, and what I'm hoping to teach my kids is that if you make good decisions with the money that you have, you can live the life you want. But we all have a finite amount of money, regardless of how big that pile is. Right. What a valuable lesson to have taught your daughter. I love that. How old was she when she? planned her birthday eight. party eight okay she was eight it was it was and it was interesting and then after that even with school clothes and so forth that um i remember one year with her school budget she wanted these really great jeans but it would have taken half of her budget and i what i'm trying to do is teach her how to also research meaning yeah. can we get them online can we get something different so it's more than just the budget it's 
how do you leverage your knowledge and the internet and um, bargain shopping and doing everything you want to still, so the key is still get what you want, but do it wisely. Yeah. Well, you're raising savvy consumers, right? I mean, these are, we, and I think this, (laughs) I think that's the challenge today too, is marketing has taken over. So we believe in the 24 easy monthly installments and, and financing a car for eight years. And, and we do it because the marketers have won as opposed to the savvy consumers that have figured out, no, it's not actually not a good deal. And um, we have to teach, I think we have to teach kids to be better consumers. I want, I want them to be, to learn to be investor consumers. So they only spend the money if the, if it's invested money, that's putting money out every month. But that's another well, story. Invested consumers. I think that's a great idea, but also to when they do spend it is to enjoy it yeah. and spend yeah. with um, enjoyment and not the guilt. But if you're investing and it's kicking off the interest and you can, inv- you can spend that. Um, but spending joyfully spending is so critical to teach. And most adults can learn that too. Most adults need to learn how to joyfully spend when they've set everything else up correctly. So this is a common thing for you, right? Joyfully spending money and you teach people how to do this. Yes. What is the secret? Give us the magic bullet. The magic bullet is understanding what's most important to you. Um, I was at a seminar and I was speaking to a group of about 600 women a couple months ago. And I was just talking about aligning your money with your values to to achieve what you really want. Um, And after I was done speaking, a woman came up to me and said, Shannon, that doesn't work. What I want more than anything is to send my son to college and to pay for the entire thing. But I haven't saved the money to do it. So I said, all right, where do you live? And she told me, and we're here in California, and she was in a very affluent neighborhood. And I said, do you have any equity in your home? She said, I own the home outright. And I said, so what you're telling me is you have it in your power to sell your home, to live in a less affluent area, pay cash for the house, and send your son to college, but you're choosing not to. So what you're fooling yourself is, is you're telling yourself that's the most important thing to you. And it's not. The most important thing for you is to have a paid off home in this area that you want to live in. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So help your son get scholarship loans and grants. Because what you're doing physically is in alignment with your your words. And that's why you're disappointed with your life. Right. So choose one or the other. Uh, But but you have to align yourself, um, your words and your actions. Because so many times we'll say, well, I want this, but we're not willing to do what it takes to get that. So we just need to be honest with ourselves. Right. So we create all this cognitive dissonance of, I want this, but I want this. And the two are mutually exclusive or we think they are. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and then we live with disappointment. We think that we haven't been able to achieve what's important to us. It's, it's, we were talking before we started today about living in areas with high, um, equity in homes, meaning that homes are very, very expensive. And here in California, when I run into retirees that really have limited income in retirement, but are sitting on this huge asset of a house, people head spin when I say, sell the house, rent, and travel the world if that's what you want to do. Live your best life. And owning a house that's paid off, if that's preventing you from living your best life, make a different decision. And they've never, ever thought about it. What they were taught was you grow up, you buy a house, you pay the house off, you go into retirement, you lived on a fixed income. And it's so limiting for so many people that they don't allow themselves to think any further than that. And it's 
to me, it's sad because they've worked their whole life just to be disappointed in retirement as well. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. Gosh, no kidding. Back to the Cheshire cat conversation, yeah. right? I mean, it's like, what did you think you were working towards in that exactly. case? Exactly. Wow. Wow. That's, that's kind of profound. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever fired any clients? Yes, I have. What, what was the reason for that? Um, you know what? When you're a financial advisor, there's times when it's in any profession where I may not be the right match for somebody. Um, when we're working together and if there's somebody who is consistently making bad decisions um, in alignment with what's most important to them, it gets to the point where it's hard for me to watch. Um, mm -hmm. During the late 90s, I don't know if you know, we'll get into a little bit of, of history here, but if you recall during 95, 96, 97, 98, because of the tech market, the tech stock, the market was just, it was going up at such a fast pace. Mm -hmm. And I had a client who was just intent. He was retiring in a few years. I had him in a, in a balance. Um, he was earning, it was ridiculous amounts of money. It was 35, 40% on his portfolio, but he was right. angry with me that he wasn't earning 75 and that I wouldn't allow him to go out of balance. Um, but going out of balance, in my mind, put in jeopardy long-term every sure. one of his goals. Sure. Um, and we decided to go separate ways. Uh, sadly, he called me in 2001. I had left where I was and went down to run Dallas uh, for a financial firm. And he called me and he ended up losing 90% oh of his investments. Um, and it was probably one of the saddest phone calls I've ever had. We weren't in alignment because I wouldn't move off the mark. I can be stubborn when somebody tells me their dreams and I feel like we're in the right way. So we parted ways. He called and he apologized to me. And I, it was one of the worst days of my life. I didn't want to be right in that situation. Yeah. Um, I've also parted ways with clients where the personalities weren't right. I've actually referred clients to other financial advisors knowing they'd be a better personality match because money is too important to me to let somebody be with the wrong advisor, even if that's me. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and it sounds like emotion got the better of him, right? Or, or greed or whatever it may have been at the time. But No, it's, it's greed. You know, it's, it's the markets and, and it's been said a hundred times, the markets run on fear and they run on greed. Um, right now, if you take a look over the last year, bonds have not been doing really well. Their stocks have been do doing well. But if you're in a balanced portfolio, you're lucky if you're getting five, four, five, six percent right now. Right. Um, but And so people will come in and they'll be so disappointed. But if you're staying for the long term, meaning if you're focused on your overall goals, um, it historically is better to stay balanced towards risk. Because what happens is, is when the markets have done well for a period a time, specifically the S&P 500, the large cap stock market in the United States, people have amnesia. They forget that there can be a strong pullback. Right. And historically speaking, if you're out of balance and you get either as a very strong pullback in the market, recovering from that is more difficult than having staying within a corridor of returns, meaning that it's mm. better to have a, a more steady, balanced approach and be disappointed some years that you're not getting as much as the S&P. But over time, emotionally, when the market falls, you're going to run to the sidelines and you're going to hurt yourself more if you're out of balance. And right. this is where, as a, as a financial advisor, it's important to know my clients, meaning I know every one of my clients and I can tell you how they're going to react during the next downturn. After 24 years, I have seen some really ugly markets and I know how people are going to react. So what we try to do is stay in the correct balance to give them success based on their goals. And so when your clients come in, do you know, 
I know their values. I know what their goals are. I know, I mean, you're reviewing yeah. all of that prior to meeting, I'm sure. Of course. Well, yeah. that's part of the first meeting and that happens ongoing. I mean, there's been times when the markets and I know the news is really, really bad and negative. I've been known to pick up the phone and call a client and say, okay, turn the TV off. I know, <laughs> I know you're locked to it. I know you're stressing out. Go, you no, know, go jump on your boat, go get in the RV, go do something that yeah. makes you happy because I know you're getting yourself stressed out. So it's because to me, that's more important than just the where we have invested because quite frankly, I mean, everybody's familiar now. Investing is a lot easier from a choosing the right one. I think that allocation is, is going to always be difficult and making yeah. sure that you stay well balanced and rebalancing towards your goals is really where somebody should be service, you know, serving you now. Um, Robo-advisor, if you want to just go pick a good stock, whether it be whatever it is, there's great computer programs right now. That's yeah. not the hard part any longer. The hard part is doing good, comprehensive work to make sure that you're also protecting yourself against um, disability, death, long-term care. There's a lot of things that really derail financial plans these days. Right. No kidding. So the the uh, companies like Wealthfront and things like that, you've seen some of these services? Yeah. 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 Oh no. There's there's all kinds of services out there now. I know Charles Schwab's got one right now, and Fidelity's got. I think Charles Schwab is the robo advisor. There's yeah. quite a few of those those programs out there, and some of them are really really good. What they're missing is they're missing the emotions. Yeah. They are the analyticals, and where people get themselves in trouble is they just think that their money is analytical. So if you can find somebody who's a strong partner for you. And somebody who understands what's most important to you, it's a to me, it's a huge advantage long term. Such good advice. Such good advice for listeners too. I mean, I love that. Um, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? I guess so. Okay, here we go. We're gonna have fun with these, Shannon. Um, number of people whose head has spun around when you told them what to do with their money. Just Hundreds. Like, is that right? Hundreds. <laughs> Hundreds, <laughs> including my friends. People don't want to talk to me at parties. I bet not. I bet not. Did you hear what Shannon just told that person to do? That's exactly. ridiculous. I told you to be happy. Enjoy it. Yeah, she just told me to spend money joyfully. She's out of her <laughs> mind. I thought she was an advisor. Exactly. Um, number of times you thought about doing something else in your life. Not recent. I can't even remember the last time I thought about doing. I am doing exactly what I want to do. And I've known it for years. That is the ultimate building a bigger life success story right there. That's so cool. Uh, number of arguments you and your husband have had around money. We've been together 28 years. I can't remember one specific argument. We've had a lot of discussions. I wouldn't say that our arguments. Um, we have a, a big commitment right now. We're realizing a very large goal of ours right now, um, which is more his desire than my desire, but I share his dream. Um, and that's caused a little bit of stress and a lot of conversations lately. <laughs> Good. I like that. So we'll change argument to a little bit of stress and a lot of conversation. <laughs> yes. That's super good. Um, all right, let me see what the next question is here. Next question is number of books in you. You have two published. I have two published. How many more do you have in you? You know, I have, I have a lot. Um, I probably have two or three right now that I'm working on for an ebook. Um, you know, hard copy books are really, people don't have time. They'll buy them, they'll collect dust on the nightstand. And so yeah. it, it doesn't make any difference. I love what you're doing. I love the podcasting. I love shorter conversations. I, it, I think that we communicate and we learn better through this type of medium. So I don't know how many hard books I'm going to do if, if another one at all. Do you find the ebooks are they going to be for adults, for kids, for high school kids? What's your the next? 
The next one that I think is most important, and this is what I've been doing a lot of speaking on lately, is I think this age of 13 to 18 in human development around money is critical because it's a period of time when you are enough of an adult, a young adult, that you have desires and wants, but you're still under the roof of your parents and you're getting ready to launch into college, which is can be a, a tough time where people really don't understand how to make financial decisions because they've just been taken care of. So I'm a big proponent of some very specific things to do with your kids starting at 13. And a lot of what you were talking about, Adam, is making sure that they're part of the family budget. In my mm-hmm. family, their job is to go to school and get outstanding grades. And I expect them to do their job well and be responsible human beings. Um, my job is my husband and I work, we earn money that goes into the family and they have a piece of that family budget, meaning we spend a certain amount on food and clothes and other things for them. Mm-hmm. I am allowing them starting at 13 to manage some of that budget themselves so cool. they can understand the cost of things. It's it's so incredibly important. I was talking to my wife about that. There was a um, a young guy that I met at the age of 15. His dad said, all right, it's on you. I mean, you want toiletries, clothes for school, whatever. I'm going to give you a set amount. I will give you food, shelter. And um, and I, there was one other thing he was going to give them. Uh, but ultimately, it was like $150 a month. But the, everything was on the kid. He had to buy all of it. And I said, what was yeah. that like? And he said, I hated my dad. I, I was so frustrated by it. And then I realized it was the smartest thing he ever did because all of my friends were, you know, frivolously spending money and I realized the value of things. So when I was 13, that's what my dad did. He gave me a credit card. He gave me a hundred dollars a month, which I thought, what? I mean, this is the eighties. He thought, wow, it was so much money. And was everything was toiletries. It was clothing. It was, um, going to the movies with my friends and he provided food. He provided shelter. He provided um, some insurance for my car. We had yeah. negotiated things, but I had to buy the gas. Sure. Um, so were there things that were part of my job as being a student, meaning that to earn the family money, if I was a good student, um, I got strong grades and he was able to focus on his career to make sure enough money came into the family. So by doing what I was supposed to be doing, I earned a piece of that. Yeah. But for all the extras, that piece I was given and I had to make it last. Um, the first couple of months that I went under or I overcharged on the credit card, and I wasn't able to pay it off because the other deal was, is that if I use the credit card, cause you want me to understand how to use it, it had to be paid in full every month. month. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I blew that a couple of times, but you know what? Making the mistakes inside of the safety net of the family, it, um, it was awful as a kid. Like, oh my goodness. How could I have done that? And, but, I've... but I had a net. Um, even though it felt terrible at the time, looking back as an adult, I think he was brilliant. And that's what I'm writing on. So brilliant. And he did exactly what you said. He let you fail with a security net. And what we do today is we give, we, we give everything to kids. And then about 18 or 17 years and 364 days, we send them out and then they get a credit card and then they make, you know, horrible decisions with no safety net. And that tends to be problematic for them. It does. One of the the things that I I tell parents all the time is, how can you expect your child to say no to the credit card? Because the way that the the financial conversations happen most of the time now is you're getting ready for college and you've done everything for your kids. You've been the human ATM. 20s just come out of you for whatever you can. Then you send them to college. College is expensive. You send them with the budget. You expect that they know what to do with the budget. And you tell them whatever you do, don't get a credit card. So the first time after you have said, 
no, 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 you can't do this, you can't have that. The first time a credit card company says, I don't know what your parents are talking about. You can have whatever you want. Yeah, right. They're going to do it because you haven't taught them the core basics. And again, yeah. and, it, and it's not, to me, many times when I really explore this with parents and kids, what I find is generally there's a beautiful person inside the a parent that felt like they missed something as a child hmm. and they're trying to do it better for their children. They're hmm. not trying to disable their children. I will tell you, I think they're disabling their children. However, I don't think they're doing it intentionally. Many times there's something inside of them. For me growing up, my father, again, being a surgeon, didn't value clothes. I love clothes because I never had enough money for all the things that I wanted. I have to be so careful about clothing budgets and just buying things off the spur for my kids because yeah. I want to. And I can feel it inside of me going, oh, my gosh, those shoes are so cute. And my daughter would love them. And, you know, and I want and I can afford to do it. Yeah. And I want to so bad sometimes, Adam, <laughs> but I don't want to disable my children. I love it. I mean, what, what more EQ a measure of EQ is that than like, I want to get these so bad, but I am totally doing my daughter a disservice by providing everything for her. And so. she knows that. I will tell her that too. She knows yeah. where, and the reason why I'm honest with them about it is I want them to understand that there is a real person with real history and real yeah. longings inside of me too. So when they see it in themselves, yeah. that they're okay with it, but yeah. they know how to process it. Meaning I'm, I'm building the synapses to, to remember and to make better decisions for themselves and ultimately for their kids. That's so good. I can't wait to see the book. I want to read that book when you're done with it. Okay. For sure. I'll get yeah. a copy of it as soon as I'm done. <laughs> I'll push it to everyone I know. Um, speaking of books, top three yes. books, what do you recommend that people read right now, Shannon? You know what? And, and I, one of, I'll tell you two of my uh, absolute favorites and then I'll give you a summer reading one that I've, I found that was really, really fun. Okay. Um, one of my favorite books is Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. And it is, again, when it's about the emotional competence. It's about how you think about your world. Um, the second one is The Untethered Soul. Um, talks about the, the voices in our heads hmm. and what we tell ourselves and how it jeopardizes us. So those are two books that are really, um, that have shaped my thinking and have shaped hmm. my life um, that, I, that are very important. I'm looking down because I want to see there is a couple really fun books that I've, I've read recently um, I'm trying to think there's the one of the big ones right now is a girl on the train kind of creepy Ooh. at the end. Um, <laughs> not so great. Uh, you know what the one I really enjoyed, and I know this isn't necessarily everybody's fun summer reading yeah. is a Harper Lee's to kill a mockingbird because oh. she, she has the new one to go set a watchman's coming out in July. Ooh. So this was the one written, I think before, I think it was written before to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. And when, it, when the publisher read it, they read it and said, oh, no, 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 this isn't going to be marketable, and then put it into a safe, I believe is the story. So it's coming out here in July. I think it's July 18th. I've got it on order. But I went back and read To Kill a Mockingbird in the last couple of weeks knowing that it's coming. Yeah. So great to reread that as an adult. Oh, so I bet. I think that one, uh, that one's fun. And then, again, there's a bunch of – I have – I'm in three different book clubs, and there's a couple of junky ones that we've read lately. A lot of the ones on the New York bestseller list right now are um, marginal. Iffy. Yeah. <laughs> I found that too. No, I found that too. I, and I'm like you, I'm a kind of voracious reader. So I read a lot of these, but the untethered soul is one I've not heard before. We, we get man's search for meaning a lot on the podcast. A lot of people like oh, that. You? So a, yeah. a lot of the, you know, high EQ and IQ folks that I interview, they all like man's search for meaning. So for good reason. 
Well, if you can, if you can control your internal world yeah. inside of a concentration camp and yeah. understand oh, that we can't, it, it's not in life about what's done to us. Mm-hmm. It's how we choose to react and view the world. And, and Adam, I can't even imagine in my darkest days how if I could ever reframe such a horrific crime against humanity and being a part of it and having my family involved, I, I can't even imagine. Um, but my hope would be that I live my life where I can choose a different internal life and not react to some of the anger and nastiness that's in the world and choose to to be happy anyways. No kidding. His One of the things in his book where he wrote that they could torture his body, but they can never torture his mind. Oh, <clears throat> love that line. And a guy, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Jack Canfield's work. Yes. Oh, yeah. But Jack, I went through Jack's Train the Trainer program last year. And one of the things that he talks about in the Success Principles book is that um, there is no, there are no meaningful events in our lives. There is only the meaning we give the events in our lives. Yeah. And so, yeah. and probably there's a lot of truth of that towards money as yeah. well. Absolutely. Well, and all yeah. of his Chicken Soup for the Soul and all the books that he wrote were so well consumed because I really think they touched, they touched the heart of a lot of people. I think we realize that, but putting all of this into practice on a daily basis when somebody is yelling at you from the car next door because they're road raging or your boss says something you don't like or you have a fight with your your husband or the world's not giving you what you want at that moment, mm-hmm. um, that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Very true. Final thought, what does building a bigger life mean to you? Building a bigger life is building the life that you desire personally, not based on anyone else's expectation of your life. It's living your ideal self. Um, And most of us can't do that every day. But you know what? Building a bigger life is striving to be your ideal self, whatever that is for you and for your family every single day. And the joy in that striving is, is rewarding. That'll be the final word. If you, um, and, and Shannon is spot on. I mean, everything you've talked about is so dialed in and exactly in line with what we talk about on the podcast and on the site. If you want the Build a Bigger Life blueprint, uh, which goes through what are your value sets and you being the architect of your life and all of that, you can check it out at buildabiggerlife.com and um, sign up and get that email to you right away. Shannon, if people want more of you, where where do we find you? Uh, Theheavypurse.com. Very good. And we can get to the podcast from there. Yes. Yes. And how often are you podcasting these days? I just started. You know, it's so funny. I didn't intend on being in podcasting. I have so many people that I admire as yourself who are podcasters. And one of my uh, daughter's best friend's uh, fathers is very involved in podcasting. And he said, Shannon, I want to do a financial show. I want you to want you to be the personality. So I just launched it. It's called Financially Sound. My first three episodes are up on theheavypurse.com. Um, and I'm going to be putting a new episode every week. I love it. I love it. And you have such a great personality for this. So this is just, oh, yeah. you're going to kill this. You're just absolutely oh, going to crush it. It's fun just to get out and talk to people about what's most important and hopefully touch somebody's life. Isn't yeah, that what it's all about? That's exactly what it's about. If they want your books, where do they go? Uh, theheavypurse.com. Okay. So everything can be gotten on the website. Everything. Check yep. it out. We'll have it in the show notes as uh, well as the books that Shannon recommended. And um, and I encourage you to check her out. This You, you have got so many cool things going. Oh, and um, yeah, And I'm jealous of all your advisor clients. <laughs> they're obviously getting great sound advice so well done i hope so yeah. i hope they feel that way thanks so much for joining me on the show thank you adam 
Thanks for listening to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. If you liked what you heard on the podcast today, help spread the message of a bigger life by leaving a review and subscribing on iTunes. Follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Carroll. Download a copy of the Build a Bigger Life blueprint at buildabiggerlife.com and check out Adam's TEDx talk on YouTube. Until next week, may you build a bigger life.